Bonjour tout le monde. Nous vous souhaitons la bienvenue. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we celebrate today how Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And then he rose again with victory over death and the grave. Let me read to you John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked this most important of all questions. Jesus asked, do you believe this? He asked, do you believe this? And folks, that is the question we are going to wrestle with today. Now, I know some Christians would rather just focus on the positive, happy stuff today. Let's all just celebrate and encourage one another and thank God for Easter and the resurrection. But listen, around here, we believe that we are called to be a church, not just for Christians. We are here to share the hope of Jesus with skeptics as well, with those of you who do not yet believe. And if that is you, I want to invite you to check out our Alpha class online, where we explore questions of God and the meaning of life. Or maybe you have some friends or, or family members who are looking for hope. And because we do this class online now, they don't even have to be here in Moncton. They could be anywhere. And so our next live online Alpha group starts in a few weeks. And all you need to do or someone you invite is just sign up today at mw.church slash alpha. Because listen, I get it. This is my natural wiring too. See, I have one of those personalities where I question everything all the time. It's exhausting, right? Just ask my wife or the people who work with me. And uh, I think we need to acknowledge, because of that, I think we need to acknowledge how hard things are for so many people out there today. We need to be honest and acknowledge with everything happening in our world right now, maybe right now more than ever before in your life, you are wrestling with questions about God and fear, and you're asking, if God is real, then why is he not fixing all these problems? Where is God with all these poverty issues and hurricanes and, and people losing their jobs and terrorism and global virus pandemics? Where is God in the midst of these problems in our world? Well, guess what? You are not the only one asking these questions. A national survey was done to determine the top 40 questions of life. And this question, why is there suffering in the world, ranked as the number one question in life. And so I just want to tackle that today head on. Because I know that many of you out there are really, really smart. And you realize that this is the number one atheist argument against the existence of God. And so here it is. The argument against God goes like this. If God is all-powerful, in other words, if he really is the creator of the universe, able to accomplish anything, then he could 
wipe out evil, right? I mean, that makes sense. That God could just snap his fingers and say, all right, that's the end. No more bad stuff. God could stop all these bad things in the world if he wanted to, right? And the argument continues, if he is a good God, then he would wipe out evil. I mean, why doesn't God stop all this stuff in the world? But see, the truth of the matter is, evil still exists in the world. We still have things like coronavirus and cancer, the Holocaust, fighting, innocent people getting uh, killed by drunk drivers, tornadoes, drive-by shootings. Listen, I have wrestled with this question so much. I have agonized over it. And I think that this is the single greatest argument against Christianity. I get atheists who push me on this all the time. And listen, I know this is really crazy for you to come to online church on Easter in the midst of a pandemic and hear a pastor try to talk you out of believing in God. But listen, around here, we don't shy away from the hard questions. So, if God is all-powerful, then he could wipe out evil. If he is a good God, then he would wipe out evil, but evil still exists in the world. That's the argument against God. So you see the problem, right? And if you see it, uh, let's do something fun right now to hear back from you. Right now, in the comments, whether you're on Facebook Live or on YouTube, wherever you are, if you can write in the comments and say, I see the problem, Joel. I see what you're talking about. And this leads to three logical conclusions. You see, the problem is here that first it's logical to ask, does God not exist? So many people decide, well, maybe there's not a God, because if he was good and all-powerful, he would stop these bad things from happening. Number two, you could ask, is God not all-powerful? Or number three, is God not totally good? And I talk with people all the time who wrestle with this. They look at the pain and the suffering in this world, and they say, you know what, this is the reason I don't believe in God. And listen, I get it. I look at this argument and it makes sense. And maybe right now, even some of you who are Christians out there in this season of suffering in our world, the truth is maybe you are starting to have some doubts about God as well. And that's why I wanted for us to talk about this today, because here's the thing. Even though this argument against God sounds smart and reasonable. It does not add up, and here's why. This, this argument, listen, is an example of what happens when we leave out some of the facts. Listen, we are always in danger of coming to false conclusions when we don't take into account all the facts. And so we're going to see today, the Bible presents one fact that all of a sudden, when you bring it into the equation, it destroys this argument against God. Because everything we've talked about so far was based on a false formula. So here is the biblical idea that most people leave out in their argument against God. And to see it, 
you have to go all the way back to the story of creation. In Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, so that they may rule. Catch that, that's important. Over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So the Bible says that God created this world as a gift for us. And then verse 28 says that He gave us authority to rule over it. So in order for that to happen, number one, humans were created in God's image with free will. Okay? Because how can humans rule over this world that God made for us if He does not allow us or permit us to make some of our own choices? And when you realize this, all of a sudden, it becomes the wild card that causes the whole argument against God to come tumbling down. And so the full argument, when you put all the facts in, is this. Listen, it's, it now says, yes, God is totally good, and God is all-powerful, and yes, an all-powerful God could wipe out evil, but this all-powerful God created humans with free will to rule over this world, and therefore, evil exists. And so all of a sudden, you begin to realize that what before seemed like a logical argument was in fact a lie because it was leaving out the most important information. That number two, in order for humans to exercise free will, God must somewhat limit himself. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say that you are a parent and you decide that you are going to do this with your children. Perhaps you say to your child, look, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to let you have free will over how you keep your room. And so you say, listen, I want you to keep your room neat and clean. And so I'm going to give you some instructions. In fact, I'm going to give you a guidebook on how to take care of your room. And I'm even going to give you the tools that you need to keep your room clean disinfectant and, you know, a vacuum and everything you need. But ultimately, you decide to let them take care of their own room. And so what you have done as a parent is you have chosen to limit yourself, to limit your intervention. And I, and I know it's hard, listen, because you know that they have got sandwiches and junk food in there, piles of stuff everywhere. I mean, they haven't seen the floor in three years. They don't even remember what the color of the carpet is. <laughs> They've got socks 
and underwear with stuff growing on them. Uh, on hot days, neighbors can smell mold and fungus growing on stale Doritos halfway down the street. It's nasty. But remember, you told them that they can keep their room however they want it. And then, you know, they can ask you for help and you want to help. But of course, your kids know that someday there will be a judgment day. Come on now. In the end times, in the end times when all the laundry will be done and all the carpets will be cleaned and the stench will be deodorized. And now we're getting into prophecy here, right? So in this arrangement, you realize that there is going to be some level of tension between how much you let them control things and when do you step in. And by the way, that tension of how much do we control things versus how much does God control things is even a debate within Christianity. In the story of Christ being crucified, I think of the conversation between Jesus and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate just before the crucifixion. And Pilate is questioning Jesus, and Jesus would not answer him. And so, in a moment of frustration, Pilate said, Don't you know that I have the authority to pardon you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you haven't a shred of authority over me except what has been given to you from heaven. And so Jesus is saying, Pilate has been given that authority by God. The Father is allowing it to happen. But then in Acts 2, 23 and 24, it talks about this same event and says that Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And so it says here that also somehow this was part of God's plan as well. And so that leaves us wondering, why in the world would God do things this way? And I think the answer is really simple. It's one word. One word. God works this way because of love. See, God wants us to love Him, and love is only possible if we also have the choice not to love. And you may not agree, but I think that this is the key to understanding God and the Bible and the whole story of humanity. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, somebody asked Jesus, what is the meaning of life itself? And Jesus said the answer is really simple. He said two things, love God and love other people. Jesus said that is the greatest commandment that God has put in place to order the structure of the universe in every decision of every day to be loving 
or not to be loving is a choice that God allows you to make. And when we don't choose God, it's called sin. And so now, all of a sudden, when we begin to realize this, we realize, wow, this is where most of the problems in the world come from. I mean, for example, there is enough food produced in the world that nobody should go hungry. And so why do, do people die from famines in third world countries? Well, frankly, it's because we hoard it and waste it, and it's because when we do send things to those people, it often doesn't get to them because corrupt authorities in many third world countries prevent the supplies from reaching those who need it, and the list of reasons goes on and on. Malnutrition and starvation are the results of a multitude of unwise and unloving choices that ultimately lead to the suffering of innocent people. God didn't do that. They are suffering the consequences of the choices that humans have made. That's not God's fault. It's our fault. And you say, okay, well, well Joel, but, but what about natural disasters? What about tornadoes and, and floods and droughts, viruses and sickness? Well, that's a good question. But the Bible says that our sin has even affected the natural world in ways we don't realize. Let me read to you uh, from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. It says, The God of this age, catch that, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so look at the top of that verse again. What does it say at the first? It says, the God of this age. Who is that? Now, this is so important. Many people don't realize this. The Bible says the God of this age is Satan. And that's why we have all this bad stuff. See, in the beginning, Adam and Eve chose sin and disobeyed God the Father. And in so doing, they let Satan get his foot in the door. Because remember, we were given authority to rule over this world. But Adam and Eve gave it to Satan. And so now the Bible says Satan is the prince of this world. And he always brings destruction with him wherever he goes. And because of that, the Bible says this physical world is cursed and groaning for the day when it will be set free. And we're going to talk about that day. We're going to talk about that prophecy in just a few minutes. But let's stop here for just a minute, because I think this is where a lot of people say, wait a minute, if I was God, I would do a better job. People say, I would step in and stop all this bad stuff. For example, I, I've heard this, if I was God, I would stop Hitler before he killed so many people. Okay, well, let me ask you then. If you were God, when would you step in and take out Hitler? I mean, maybe, maybe God should have stopped Hitler somewhere back down the line when he first started making bad choices, like when he was a child. But understand that if God were to do that to him, when should he step in 
and override your free will? When should God stop you from doing what you want to do? See, the problem is when we complain that God does not remove evil from this world, we don't realize that if God were to remove evil from the earth, then none of us would still be here. We wouldn't make it past five years old before God would have to take us out. But praise the Lord, God did not want robots. He created us in His image so that we can choose to love or not, so that we can choose to surrender to Him or not. But one of the results of this is that sometimes people get hurt. And so, up until this point, we've talked about logic and theology, and that's all well and good, but let's talk about that hurt. Let's talk about pain. Let's, let's get personal for a minute. What does God do for you in the midst of your suffering? Well, number one, first, you need to know that God is your future avenger. God's Word says that evil will not triumph forever. Prophecy says that there will be a day of judgment, and one day God will unleash His power and avenge the suffering that has taken place in this world. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5 through 7 says, You will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And in fact, not only, not only will God do this, the Bible says that he will then usher in a whole new world, a fresh start where all the wrongs of Satan and humanity will be made right. You see, sometimes I think we forget that this physical world is not all there is. Peggy Noonan says, our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this to be the poor, nasty, brutish, and short one. We are among the first generations that actually expected to find happiness here on earth, and our search for it has caused such unhappiness. The reason, if you do not believe in another higher world, if you believe that this is your only chance at happiness, then if this world does not give you a good measure of its riches, you despair. And so, because we fail to recognize this, we waste so much of our lives focusing on the riches and pleasures of this world, and we wonder why it never satisfies this longing in our heart. And the answer is because our true treasure will be in heaven. That's why the focus of this life should be getting ready for the next one. But meanwhile, the Bible teaches that while you are still here, number two, God is your present co-sufferer. You need to know that God feels your pain. And that's what's so unique about Christianity. Unlike any other faith, God took the form of a man 
in Jesus of Nazareth and lived here where you and I live. And he suffered the same kind of abuse and pain that we go through. And that is the story of the cross. The cross is a picture of Jesus saying, this is how much I love you. Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 5, God says, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. Do not be afraid, God says, for I am with you. And then, more than just suffering with you, number three, God also wants to be your strength. Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So when we suffer from the evil of this world, when sickness and persecution comes knocking on your door, God wants to strengthen you and deliver you to rise up in the midst of it. But there's only one way for that to happen. And this is the most important part. Number four, God wants to be your salvation. He has made a way for you and for me. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because since the beginning, in the creation story of Genesis, God says the punishment for sin is death. And so in the Old Covenant, an animal would die in your place. In the Old Testament, a lamb would be sacrificed, and the shedding of its blood was the forgiveness of your sin through God. But, but John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus, it says, becomes the Lamb in the New Testament, who is sacrificed for you and for me. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Which brings us right back to the passage we started with today. See, this is why Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is the most exciting day of the year for Christians. And so let's look at this one more time again. John 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so notice, it's not just that Jesus comes back to life. I mean, that's wonderful. That's the story of the resurrection. But it's also that Jesus now offers this resurrection life to you and to me. Jesus says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asked, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And friends, that question that Jesus asked is the most important question of life. Jesus asked, 
Do you believe this? Can we pray together? Wherever you are right now, maybe you're in a living room sitting around with family. Maybe you'll reach out and grab the hand of somebody sitting beside you. Maybe you're by yourself right now in a bedroom or maybe you're watching at work or even sitting in a car with a, with a phone or an iPad on the side of the road somewhere. Wherever you are right now, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that even though we live in a world that is messed up, that is suffering, that the God of this age, Satan, has us in his grip and is, is, is causing so much pain and difficulty, but that you are greater than all of that and that we can trust you. And so, Father, I pray for everyone with us today, whatever they're going through, maybe there are family issues or work issues or lack of work issues, maybe the questions are financial or health-related or relational, but God, we are reminded today that the source of all that we need is not inside of us like the world says. It's not found in the riches of this world, but the only place we can find what we need is in you. And so, Lord, I pray that people would sense your presence in their homes right now, in their lives, that your abundance and joy would truly fill your servants. And right now, we're just going to stop for a minute, and I want to ask if there's anybody who's with us today who has never made that decision for Christ. Maybe you have never received his forgiveness. The Bible says it's really simple, just like we read in the book of Romans. You have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he paid the price for you, that he rose again for your forgiveness, for your new life, and receive him and make the decision to follow him. And if you want to do that right now, Let's pray together. Just tell him in your heart, say, Father, I have lived for myself. I have lived in the ways of the world. But today I realize how much I need you. I confess that Jesus is Lord, that he died for my forgiveness, and I receive that gift now. I invite you to come into my life and take control. I promise to, to begin to live my life according to your word, to seek out the truth of your word for the guidance that I need in my daily life. And I promise to live for you, Lord, now and for the rest of my life as you prepare me for the world that is to come and eternity with you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Can you say that? If, even if anybody's listening, say it in, in your homes right now. Could you declare amen? And anybody who made that decision for Christ, we are celebrating with you right now. Right now in the comments, online, on Facebook Live, and on YouTube live stream, go ahead right now and, and welcome those. Say, we are so grateful for those of you who made a decision today to follow Jesus. And if that's you, go to our website right now. And on 
mw.church slash connect card. mw.church slash connect card. There's a little box that you can check that if you'll provide your information and check the box that says that you made a decision for Christ, we would love to follow up with you this week and help you get started in this journey with Jesus. Welcome to the family. We're so glad you're here. Listen, let's join together in worship and sing this song of gratitude for the kind of God that we serve. And don't go away because at the very end, after this song, I'm going to come back and we're going to do some important stuff together. Let's sing.